This is the Collective Ambition Podcast. Do you want to build an audience of raving fans for your business or maybe a following for your personal brand to network with more influential people? Or maybe it's just a little side project that you want to start alongside your business or maybe you have, don't have a business yet and you want to full-time commit to something. Well, today's guest is Max Herden, uh, who has done exactly that. He's built a successful YouTube channel in only two years where he built a following of 100,000 subscribers while also running a successful seven-figure agency with dozens of people, uh, at least a dozen, if not a couple dozen people that he employed. Um, and while that seems time-consuming enough to have a business and growing a business like that, he's also started this YouTube channel where he does monthly challenges and he documents the whole journey of learning new skills or other challenges uh, that he wants to master. So this is a super time-consuming project as well. And I was just super curious to know more about how he manages time. So this is what we talk about in this episode, how he manages time to do both and uh, the importance of delegation, as well as how to get mentors that skyrocket your results in any field, whether that's business or a skill that you want to learn and um, sticking to something even when there are no results at first, which is uh, something that he battled with when uh, he was putting out great content and putting in a lot of time into his YouTube channel for nine months and only then he reached a thousand subscribers. Um, and yeah, growing to 100,000 subscribers in his two years on YouTube through consistently putting out great content. And he's really a guy that I notice is great at high leverage thinking and um, yeah, working smart as well and really reverse engineering what works and just an overall smart dude. So I hope you enjoy this episode and without further ado, let's dive right into it. Yeah, let's let's get to the first one that I uh, just mentioned to you. So I'd, I'd really love to know how you manage all these different things because you seem like a really young guy. You've, you've got a really successful agency and um, quite a big team as well from what I've, I've seen online. And uh, you also do these monthly challenges on YouTube that are really, that it just look like a ton of work. Like the, the, the amount of work that you put into them. I don't think many people know how much work is behind that. So I'm just looking at someone like you and I'm thinking, how does he manage it all? Yeah, so the funny thing is, I still have a ton of free time after all of this, which um, might surprise people. Okay, but, just rub it in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so I guess when I think about one of like the most important things uh, for me has always been like time management um, and trying to be just really efficient with my time and always trying to think how I can like optimize something now for more time later. Um, and I feel like I've got this my whole life, but yeah, but now it, it, it can, can look like that. So yeah, so the agency, um, I've slowly transitioned my office involvement. So I used to be three days a week when I was growing the company, sometimes four days a week. And then I, went down to two days a week uh, three years ago and then I went down to one day a week and I built a management team and I slowly gave them more and more responsibilities and right now my management team can hire people fire people um, they could buy you know ten thousand dollars of office equipment without even necessarily needing me to approve it you know sometimes I'll go to the week and there's a new employee and I'll be like hey I'm Max and they'll introduce themselves and and so the, the business can grow and evolve without me because I've empowered people to take decisions you know and action um, yeah, so um, really empowering the management control and trusting those people and building like processes around that. And that took, took time for me to be comfortable with it. Um, and they know I'm 100% there for them if they ever need me. And, you know, I work on the business outside of those hours as well. Um, and the YouTube channel is insanely time intensive, which, which you're right. Uh, and so some challenges are a lot more intensive than other 
challenges. For example, learning Spanish was like three to four hours a day. And that's just the learning aspect, not the filming, the planning, the editing, you know, the setting up the right people for the shots, the getting the right classes and all of the kind of crazy stuff around that. So those challenges can be really, really time intensive. But then at the same time, there's challenges like morning routine challenge, which actually almost gives me time because it forces me to like set up a morning routine and set structure or meditation or digital minimalism, which I'm doing right now. Um, those can actually put time in my my pocket so sometimes i'll match up challenges based on how hectic my life is so when i know i have a bit more free time i might do one of the more in time intensive challenges or i'm sometimes will match two challenges together at the same time one that gives me time like digital minimalism with something time intensive um and also over the last year i've got a video videographer and editor and now i've just got a second editor overseas for like uh stuff that doesn't have to be quite as good um so they do all the editing. Uh, they do a lot of the filming as well. And, you know, they're better than me at, the, at, what, at what I can do. And, and honestly, the editing is just so time-consuming sometimes. Um, so that's to some degree how I've offloaded that. Um, and yeah, and then I've got other projects on the go as well. But I'm always trying to think about how I can be optimal. Like, what's the most impactful things that I can be doing with my time? But then sometimes I end up with too much free time. And I'm like, well, what do I want to do with my life and my time? Yeah. So you used to do the editing yourself and you've also, yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean like with Megaphone for the first 25, 30 clients, I was doing everything. I was managing all the clients doing, you know, the accounting, the bookkeeping, um, the sales, and then eventually I hired someone and, you know, got them slowly to take over some of the responsibilities and similar with the YouTube channel for the first year I edited, filmed everything. And yeah, honestly, like the two days or three days before I release a video, I'll just lock myself in a room and just go like eight hours a day, just edit them um, and uh, basically just kind of shun myself from society for a few days. So it's honestly amazing having someone to take that responsibility away from me because it started to become too intense. But in the early days, I was just so committed to this vision of what I was doing that I was excited by it. So it, it it felt fun for me anyway. Yeah, because then you want to do it as well. I've I've got a similar experience now because I've I've done a couple of little sketch parody videos just for fun, just to show them to my friends because it's you know it gives me energy. And I was like, it, it was so much fun. Even the editing, which I usually don't like to do, um, but yeah, once once you hit that point where you are actually delegating work, you just see how much freedom there is, and it's it's probably the most important skill I think as an entrepreneur. Uh, which it is also de- allows you to have a lot of free time and do all these different things while still having a, a an agency with a big team. Yeah, yeah. No, I think I've definitely had to learn that lesson. Like with, with Megaphone, my agency, it took me ages before I hired my first employee. Like I definitely should have hired an employee earlier. And mentors were like, you, like trust me, you're going to appreciate this. But I was apprehensive because like, are they going to do it as well as me? Um, you know, are they going to steal something and do their own thing and compete against me? How will the clients feel? Um, so there's all of these kind of questions in your head that you need to get over. But it's a mentor put it to me once. He's like, um, I was talking about the risk, and he's like, what would be the risk if you didn't hire an employee? Like, think about how much it would cap your business and the risk of you not being able to do the work if you're not uh, available and things like that. And it made me think about delegation actually might be the lowest risk uh, you know, option for your business or for the project that you're working on because it actually allows things to be bigger than yourself when you're not available or capable. 
yeah i like to call it like the the next level of being an entrepreneur because it's 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 about releasing that threshold of control and then only then you are actually a real business owner because before you were just self-employed and you just created a job for yourself right so um totally. yeah definitely one of the skills that you've probably also gotten really good at now if you're in the position that you're in right now yeah i mean it's it's something that i've thought deeply about and yeah it's something that i'm confident in although there's always areas to improve for sure yeah you seem you seem a lot like someone like tim ferris who likes to try new things who likes to optimize learning and uh, also things on a on a high level when it comes to leverage and like how can i make this more efficient yeah i mean i i've definitely connected um to tim ferris's work you know when i read his book a lot of the ideas were ideas that i'd been living by but then he just pushed it you know that much further so it's exciting to see people that are a similar type of weird as me and then yeah he had a tv show called the tim ferris experiment where he did something very similar to my monthly challenges he tried to learn a language in a month or he tried to get good at parkour or tried to optimize dating and so very similar concept to kind of um my channel and i was inspired by it i love content like that and you know when i see someone that's done a lot of different things that's often more exciting to me than the person that's gotten really good at one thing and i know a lot of people don't necessarily agree on that but that's kind of my um the identity that that excites me the person that's kind of competent at a lot of things as opposed to the person that's excellent at two things um and so that's that's kind of been the vision that i've been trying to create for myself for sure I think that's that's actually something uh, a concept that's emerging now, which is like I think you call it a polymath. That's like yeah, some polymath or renaissance yeah. man. Sometimes yeah, 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 yeah. So it's actually learning different skills and being pretty good at at these different ones, and then combining them, and that's what gives you all the leverage instead of being in the top one percent for one skill. Totally, totally, and you know. Every now and then during my challenges, I'll be like doing something and I'll be like, oh, this was really similar to when I did the backflip. Oh, this was really similar when I performed stand-up comedy. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're very weird connections because I'm learning, you know, violin or, you know, something that doesn't really seem to correlate. But I, sometimes there's something quite similar that I've learned from one challenge that I'm applying, like a principle or a rule that I'm applying to something that's seemingly disconnected. So it's cool to kind of have this interception point of a lot of different uh, skills and ideas that you can kind of think through. Yeah, I, I've got the same experience where when you learn one thing, you start to see similarities in other things and then it's actually easier to learn these other things. It's kind of like you're learning how to learn and then totally. it's quicker because you have all these different other other different reference points. Um, so what's, what's, what's kind of like the reason why you started this? So you've already had a successful agency. Did you just start because, hey, I want to do this? Is it because someone inspired you to do it or there was a, a bigger plan behind all of this? Yes. I wish I had a more succinct answer to this question because there's like five kind of ideas that all kind of came together where it, I don't know if it's five or six. There's so many reasons. So one of them is just, I already did challenges. Like before I was filming it and putting it on YouTube, I was already doing this. I was already trying to learn things in a month or 90 days. And sometimes I blog about it. Sometimes I wouldn't. Um, so I just like the idea of committing to this. I like the idea of accessing a higher level, you know, teacher or authorities to help me. So if I have a hundred thousand, you know, right now I've got 90,000 followers and I'm doing a singing challenge and I've got the singing teacher of John Mayer and Selena Gomez and in excess and he's my teacher and I can't access these people necessarily, but with, 
with an audience and influence, they also want to reach people and they have a story and a message. And so now I can access a different caliber of interesting people, which has been really interesting. Um, there was an element of like inspiring and giving back. You know, when I think about how do I make a positive impact on the world, I think one of the, the ways I've really been influenced is through the people that I look at as an influencer. You know, I've been really influenced by Aubrey Marcus or Tim Ferriss or Ray Dalio. And I look to their content for inspiration and, you know, I think through how they're living. Um, I respect how they're living. So therefore I'm interested in different principles that they live by their life. And so I wanted to be a role model for people that might be interested in the way that I like to live, which is through challenges and learning challenges and entrepreneurship. Um, and so that was a component. Um, another component was just to, in, to meet interesting people because it's such an authentic representation of my personality that the people that come out and want to speak to me are probably interested in learning and entrepreneurship and fitness and a lot of the kind of values that I kind of aspire to. If, if you're interested in my content, we'll probably get along. So that's been pretty cool. Um, and then I also thought uh, it could be a tool to leverage for different businesses or uh, investment opportunities. So let's say if someone came to me and said, hey, we want to, you know, we're selling socks. And then I'd be like, cool, I've got an audience of 500,000 people. Let me invest in your company and I'll also be a role model or a spokesperson for your sock company or whatever it is. And so it could give me access to different investment opportunities or B2C opportunities. So there's all of these ideas that just kind of amalgamated and I just thought, yeah, well, this just seems like too good of an idea to pass up. So, yeah. And there's, there's other reasons on top of that. There's probably just the five that came to me right now. Yeah. Interesting. Because I've got a pretty similar reason why I started doing podcasts because I realized it's one of the best ways to get in touch with people uh, and really networking. It's also networking at scale. Like I think people underestimate the power of social media still of really putting out content um, because even now, even, even though I don't have a big audience at all, I, uh, I have people reaching out to me and they already feel like they, they know me pretty well because they've heard about my story. They heard about this podcast. They kind of know what I'm about. And I'm like, how do you know all these things? And, and they're like, oh, well, you've said it in the podcast. Oh, you listen to my podcast. Oh, yeah. And it's like, so it's really powerful and um, it makes a lot of sense. So when you started, were you already committed to doing it for like a couple of years? Or were you just like, hey, I'll just put it out and see where it leads? Like, are you someone that planned, planned it all ahead? Or was it just like, hey, see how it goes? Yeah. So, I mean, my expectations of how fast I'd grow and how big I'd be by now were wrong. I thought I'd be a lot bigger. Um, and I thought I'd, you know, I probably thought I'd have a million followers by now. Um, but I think in, originally I committed to a year because I wanted to commit to some period of time. And I knew that there would be like a challenging phase. And I knew that I knew... I knew that I didn't know a lot about YouTube. And so, you know, I thought very deeply about YouTube. I paid money to speak to like channels with over a million subscribers. I did four different courses on YouTube. Um, I created a pod of other YouTubers that I would like have like monthly conversations with. Um, I read a lot of articles. And so slowly I've learned some of the foundations of what makes a successful channel. How do you make viral content? How do you tell a good story? What makes a good thumbnail? all these different things. And a lot of those things can only necessarily come with time and seeing like feedback. Um, so I wanted to commit to a year. Um, and then after a year, if I was getting no traction or if it was just hated and people didn't like it, then I'd cut it. 
Um, but I wanted to give a year of experimentation. And I feel like really it was like after nine or 10 months where I started to get just enough signals to go, yeah, I'll give this another year. Um, and so now I'm currently in my third year and mentally I've committed for five years. Um, so, you know, my goal is by five years to have like a million subscribers. Um, and so it's taken me, what is it? Two years and one month to meet at 90,000 subscribers. So I have no idea if that's a reasonable goal or not, but it, it feels reasonable to me. And it feels like um, there's opportunity for exponential growth and bigger collaborations as you kind of cross over a hundred thousand. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my process for like committing to a period of time and thinking, thinking through that. Yeah. I think it is, it is pretty reasonable. 1 million because what I've seen so far in, in channels that I've followed, cause I've, I, there's some challenge that I've followed for like the past nine years, literally. And it's, it's exponential. And you, you've probably seen that as well, that, you know, the quicker it grows, the quicker it grows. It's, um, yeah. Yeah. But, and I used to think that, but now I actually believe that it's exponential because the creator is getting exponentially better at YouTube. Um, oh. And so I don't think that particularly with today's algorithms, I don't think that if you're consistently putting out average content, yes, you have more of a subscriber base that will, um, review your content and theoretically it gives you a better chance to go to create a viral piece of content. But I don't think that the, the, the YouTube algorithm or the distribution is strong enough uh, to, to even for your subscribers to see your content. So you need to have like a click through rate of over 10% and you need to have a watch time of like 45% or whatever it is. So, and that only comes from learning from your content and, you know, by being in the game for long enough, then you see enough content. You're thinking about content, and eventually you find those viral pieces of content that can break you out or you get access to like bigger collaborations and things like that. Um, or you find something stylistically that's unique to you that you can kind of build upon. But yeah, I don't think it's just about doing the same thing competently uh, for a sustained period of time. And I do think that when we look at those exponential growth channels, those are the ones that made it exponentially. So they're the ones that we're most aware of, but we're not aware of all the other guys that were doing it for eight years that just failed. You know, you know what I mean? The ones that, you know, when you see Mr. Beast go from 100,000 to 20 million, you go, oh, there's another example. But you don't know the guy that went from 20,000 to 30,000 over, over the last three years because no one, like, he, he never, that person never got big. Yeah. Yeah. So just putting out stuff is not enough. It actually has to be good and it has to be, you have to keep getting better at it. So would you, do, do you think, or would you say that if you started a completely new channel right now, nobody knew who you are, with the skills that you have and you put that out, you'd grow super quickly? Not super quickly, but I would expect to grow faster than I have in, in the two years because I think like my thumbnails, titles, concepts of videos, um, you know, and I'm still rethinking about YouTube. You know, one thing that, that I now think about YouTube is you should never put out content that doesn't exemplify the core mission of your channel. So if you start putting out, you, you really want to train you, like visitors to like click every video of yours because I know your content's consistently good. And, and that's something that I've experimented with and I, and I think it's kind of hurt my channel. But yeah, I think if I did it all again, yes, I think I could grow faster in, in two years' time. Um, but it's difficult. Like it, it, it's, it, it still would be a massive grind, you know, for the first year or two years or whatever it is, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a barrier to entry for those who who are really committed to something. So um, 
going to the challenges, um, what, what's like the biggest lesson that you've learned when it comes to doing these challenges? Is it like an overarching thing where you're like, wow, this is, this is the biggest takeaway? I, I mean, like something that's, that's not new to anyone, but it's really hit home is how much good mentorship helps achieve anything. So, um, for example, I've been training at the gym for years. I've had medium personal trainers and bad personal trainers, but throughout the challenge, I went, to, I was like, who is the best in Melbourne? And I got, you know, someone that had a really good reputation and I trained with them. And the results were just exponentially better by having a good teacher. So I, I think doing your due diligence, you know, getting recommendations from people that you genuinely trust, not just because they're someone that you know, and they're recommending them. I think finding really good people to work with, um, is massive. And, and I go back to like my first challenge in the violin challenge, the first ever challenge that I did. And I tried to learn all from YouTube, which was a terrible idea. And then I was like, Oh my God, I'm not learning. So then I tried to get a teacher. I didn't vibe with the teacher. And then I finally found a teacher that I liked. Um, and I just crammed in a lot of learning in the last few days. And, and you know, my result is not that amazing, but the process that I used has changed massively. Whereas now with the singing challenge, I've got the singing teacher of John Mayer and Selena Gomez, and I've got a 30 day outline already structured for me. And so my approach prior to the challenge is, is different. And I think, um, yeah, I think I'm looking at that principle across all areas of life. Like even like, you know, life performance and accountability. I've just hired like a life performance accountability coach to see if that will translate into real life and, and to see if this, this woman that I've hired, um, is someone that I can respect enough uh, to translate that into other areas of my life. Um, yeah. So I'd say that that's one big thing. Um, I mean, another thing just like, um, like I, I mean, it's just a lot of these things have been very fun, even though that they're challenging and there's like, there's usually like a fun period, a hard period, and then a, a fun period again. Um, it's still, it's still fun. Like, um, you know, if I stopped filming, I still would be doing something similar. It just, it'd probably it'd look a bit different. It'd be less intense. Um, and I'd probably commit to things longer than a month, maybe 90 days. Um, but I'd probably still be doing something similar. Yeah. So I think that's one of the key things that people miss and that's something that I want to train myself to do more, which is like, instead of making things harder and more and pushing more and this and that, making it more sustainable by making it fun and actually doing things yeah. that you really enjoy. So that must have helped you a lot in actually sticking to it and uh, waiting until after nine months, you saw the signs that committed you to do another year. By the way, what, what, were, those, what were those signs that made you think, okay, I think there's something here. How many, how many viewers did you have? Or? I think it took me like 10 months to get to a thousand subscribers. Wow, um, that's crazy. So, so yeah. two years now and you're almost at a hundred thousand. And after yeah. the first nine months, it was just one thousand. Well, that's crazy. Yeah. And so like I was putting a hundred hours into some videos and getting, you know, a couple thousand views. And so I was, you know, it was crazy how much effort I was putting into to how few views I was getting. So honestly, you have to be a little bit insane or you have to be so clearly committed to a vision for the future to like persevere through that, particularly with like me running a business where I could be investing more time in my business and keep scaling that. Well, there's other opportunities going on in my life. There's other interesting things, but I've really gone, no, this is the thing that I'm choosing to spend my time on. Uh, I also think like, irregardless of if any benefit ever came from this challenge, these challenges, something that I look proudly on, you know, 
when I was 70, I'm showing my grandchildren, like, oh, this is me learning to skateboard and this is me learning to backflip. Um, it's something that I'll always be proud of because it, it, it just aligns well to my values. And I think it's, I think it's cool. I, like, I think it, I'm, I'm proud of the content. Um, but yeah, I'd say the skateboarding video that I did, um, which has now crossed a million views, that, that I did, let's say, as my seventh, eighth, ninth challenge, I can't remember, that video started to take off. It's, it just it flatlined and then it started to get a thousand views a day and then two thousand views a day. And then I instead of like then I just started to get like thirty to fifty subscribers every day. And it's kind of never that's kind of my baseline. Maybe the worst I might ever have is like thirty or forty new subscribers every day now. Because there's like some content that's just in the YouTube ecosystem and it just gets views. It just it gets suggested. It goes onto people's home page if they watch videos about skateboarding. Yeah. So that was a signal to go, there's something working here. Yeah. So the, the difference between that video was the keywords or it's just a good timing was just luck in, in a sense to a certain degree that made the difference. Um, the, you know, if I look at the stats, the click through rate's not amazing. The watch time's not amazing. Um, so it's unclear why that video does well. You could, some people go, Oh, that makes sense. Cause a lot of people want to watch someone, um, progress in skateboarding. And so maybe the concept of a skateboarding pro progression video is more engaging than a handstand progression video or a um, bodybuilding progression video. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. So I honestly think it's somewhat random. Like I think it's just for whatever reason, YouTube has flagged that, that piece of content as a good piece of content and other pieces of content, which I think are better. And, you know, and the, the, the stats kind of seem to suggest so. Um, I don't, it, it just seems, it seems semi-random to me. So there's other pieces, like my last two pieces of content, the click-through rate is like 12 or 13%, which is insane. Like, you know, Mr. Beast, you know, the big, one of the biggest YouTubers uh, and fastest growing YouTuber in the world, he's like, if you get like nine or 10%, you're killing it. And so these videos are getting 12 or 13%. And so I can tell, well, I've done something good here. The title's good. The content I've chosen is good. The thumbnail is good. So it makes sense why those videos are good. But yeah, I never really fully understood why the skateboarding one has done as well as it has. Yeah. Interesting. That's, I think that's where it's also like, you just got to stick to something and at some point you get lucky or something happens where you, that's kind of outside of your control and things just, just work. And going back to mentors that you talked about before the, the power of mentors, um, you, you said that, or you mentioned that you had a, a business mentor who motivated you to actually start delegating. So what kind of mentor was that? Did you get these mentors through personal relationships or did you pay someone or, um, because I think there's probably a lot of people listening, um, me included, who's like, okay, I know I, mentors are really valuable. Uh, yes, I can listen to people online, but I think having, having someone that knows me personally is really valuable. So how did you go about that? Yeah. So like early in my business journey, um, a lot of the books that I read and the entrepreneurial advice I got was like get a mentor and it just seemed like clear that that was something that was worth pursuing. Um, and the way that I look at mentorship is like, you don't need to find someone that knows, ex like if I'm running a digital marketing agency, I don't need to find someone running a bigger digital marketing agency. I need to find someone that um, is somewhat tangential to what I'm doing or has expertise in the areas that I'm interested in. So that mentor was running an app development company. So there was no competition. Um, I found him on LinkedIn. He happened to go to my school, but you know, that was somewhat irrelevant. Um, I reached out to him on LinkedIn, said I'd buy him lunch. I said that 
I'd try to offer him value where I could, whether it was a connection or a referral. Um, and I just wanted to learn from him. And he said, yes. And, you know, he's been a mentor for the last, you know, four or five years. Um, his business was like 20 staff at the time. I remember walking into his office and he had like beautiful office with like uh, an LED light of his logo and like all of this like greenery and, and, you know, this open space office. And that was like my dream and vision for my business. And so that kind of happened a couple of years ago. So I invited him to my office and I told him that story. So that was really cool to see that come full circle. But I also reached out to like another company um, called Culture Ramp, this guy, uh, Didier, who, um, who's now actually, it's actually crazy. He, um, I reached out to him when his company was only four staff. And I just, I could tell that he, the reason I reached out to him because their clients were like, um, you know, Facebook and Pinterest and huge clients. So I was really curious about how people go about selling really big businesses. And so he was a tech, a software as a service company. So there's really little correlation, but I was really interested in corporate sales at a big level. Um, and again, reached out to him on uh, LinkedIn. I had no connection with him. I did a lot of research about them so I can drop the fact that I know their articles and I know lit literally every news media story about them. You know, I'll do hours of research about them. Um, and just be really humble, take their advice and then follow up and say, hey, I've taken your advice and I'd love to talk to you about where that's taken me and, and what, where I'm at to next. Um, and that, his company is now worth a billion dollars, funnily enough. So I just happened to reach out to someone that, you know, was just a genius um, and he was really valuable for me amongst a lot of other people. But yeah, um, so that, yeah, I just reached out to these people. Let's say 33% ended up becoming a mentor for me and, you know, the other 67% just don't respond, which is fine. That's a pretty good response rate. Yeah. I think especially nowadays, because it's in so many books and so many people, people recommend it that there's, there's like a few people who get a lot of requests like that, especially the ones that are totally out there. Like you, you shouldn't even consider asking a Gary V for mentorship because he's, he's getting bombarded with that stuff. So it's probably around or about finding these few mentors who are not in the limelight who nobody's asking and nobody knows about. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think about is like going for someone who's five years ahead of where you want to be. So, uh, you know, if I reach out to Gary Vee, his advice actually probably wouldn't be that good for me because he's thinking about very high level things. If I reach out to Richard Branson and I was talking about like hiring my first employee and, um, you know, how to set up a contract, he's, he's got, he hasn't done that for 30 years. Um, so he's not going to be that valuable. I prefer to speak to the guy that's got a 20 person company and, you know, on their way up and has thought deeply about these problems over the last five years. You're going to be able to relate to them a lot better. But if you're Gary Vee and you want to think about becoming a billionaire, then maybe he should reach out to Richard Branson and they can talk about, because maybe Richard Branson is five years ahead of where Gary Vee wants to be. So, um, you know, I think you can reach out to those top people, but then you need to be a top person yourself, you know, or on the way up and kind of, show that you are on the way up. And those are the people that I think a Gary Vee would mentor. But yeah, for a lot of people that would reach out to those personalities, I think that they're, they wouldn't even be that valuable for them. Yeah. yeah. Or you, you should have a uh, 100,000 subscriber YouTube channel <laughs> to show At that least. you have some sort, of, uh, some sort of track record. I think that's, like, that, that, that's really the power of it, right? I mean, if you have something like that, it's, it's part of your portfolio. And it gives so totally. much social proof for that. So that's probably also one of the reasons why you did it, right? Totally, totally. And, and just on that as well, like if someone reached out to me and they had 25,000 YouTube subscribers, 
then I could look at their content. We could talk about like their content strategy and their plan forward to get into 100K. But if they have zero and they're just planning on doing it, which people do reach out to me for, firstly, I'm not sure if they're going to take my advice because I haven't shown any form of like action taking or whatever. I'm happy to like help out all these people um, with a quick response. But um, if they had done a year's work and had a thousand subscribers and, but they showed commit, like the commitment, the mentor I think is going to be a lot more uh, excited to work with someone that is showing commitment um, and they've got something that you can actually work from, you know, you know what I mean? So I think that that's, that's powerful for sure. Yeah. And I think another thing that uh, people might miss is that not every mentor is the right one for you, but it might be the right one for someone else, but in terms of their personality and their way of thinking, like for, for someone that is super introverted and super technical and techie to be mentored by someone like Gary Vee, who's like all over the place, super social and always interacting with people. I think that's going to be, they're going to have a bad time and they're not going to learn the right things. So I think that's another really important thing because I've had, uh, I've taken courses of entrepreneurs who talk about sitting at a desk all day to execute on the tasks, but it just doesn't work for me because I'm way too social for that. Like I need, I'm someone that thrives with people. So to be task oriented, that's just, one of the observations that I've made as well. So actually something that Robert Greene talks about in the book Mastery, which is like, don't take every mentor. Some of them are really the wrong people for you and they're going to totally, they're going to hurt you more than they actually help you. Totally. And I think like with, you know, anything that I say, anything that you say, any book that you read, it's like find the things that resonate. Um, It doesn't mean that you have to take every piece of action uh, or, you know, every, every advice that you hear for sure. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned over the past two years, which is like, no matter who says it, it always has to go through my filter. Do I think this is valuable for me and to my specific personality and my specific situation? Because I used to take on anything that people with authority, authority, I mean, what's, what's authority anyways, what, that they said, I would just take it on blindly. And uh, so many things just wouldn't work out for me because it, it just doesn't work for me. Totally. You know, and on that, that same mentor that um, I was saying kind of gave me that advice earlier. He also was adamant that I don't go down from four days a week, which is what I was doing or three days a week. He's like, you can't run a business two days a week. You can't run a business one day a week. Um, and, you know, I listened to him. I didn't argue in the moment and I, and I hit him out. You know, I, I played devil's advocate. I listened to him and then I thought it doesn't matter. I don't think I, I don't agree. And I think that I'm currently proving that I, that I, I can build a business uh, being in the office one day a week. Um, I can build a thriving business like that. So that was just something that we didn't agree on. I agreed with 90% of what he said, but that was just one thing that I went against. Um, you know, and that's, that's a perfect example of thinking for yourself and thinking through your own kind of filter. Yeah. And um, what did that mentorship actually look like? Did you have a set time where you met or it's just a friendship and you just chatted whenever? was available because I think a lot of people think it's like a very formal relationship but it's actually more easygoing usually definitely easygoing um you know I'd come I'd book in around his schedule go to his office I'd come with like eight questions that I wanted to ask and maybe like some thoughts about what he had told me the last time and how I'd action those so that he can see that what he's telling me is being actioned um you know some progress reports um, and then I also might ask if there's anything that he needs help with that, you know, aligns with my skill set or any connections that he's interested in as well to think about 
offering value. I'd also like get a gift every year or two as well, just to show my appreciation. Um, but yeah, it was very casual, you know, it would just, it, it, there, was, there was nothing formal about it. It was just, it was like a conversation like this, a question and answer discussion. Um, just like two people that are interested in entrepreneurship having a conversation. Yeah. Cool. Um, going back to the YouTube stuff, I know we're kind of jumping back and forth, but I've got so many other questions popping up and I don't know if it's actually relevant to my audience, but I think it's super interesting because I'm currently uh, interested in YouTube itself. What, what are kind of like the biggest lessons that you've learned when it comes to YouTube or maybe even any, any platform that you've grown an audience on? Yeah, so with YouTube, I think that um, it's, there's not, it's not a system. You can't really game the system in YouTube. Like in Instagram, there's, there's ways you can game the system. And, and I actually, it actually annoys me. Like when I see these big influencers grow to a million followers or 1.5 million followers really quickly, I know what they've done. I've, I, I know the companies that they're working with. And a lot of what they're doing is very unorganic. And the Tell followers us. are very random. I, I mean, I can get into that uh, as well. But, and, and then I, I listened to them on an interview and they're like, you know, the way that I did it was great content. I've got a team of people working with me and it's, it's actually bullshit. And I know, so that, that frustrates me because it, there are a lot of ways that you can game Instagram. These days there's, there's lesser options, but there, there are ways. But in YouTube, if you gain the system and you can gain the system with like, you know, um, collaborations or giveaways or YouTube advertising, but the subscribers that you get will not watch your content. And so you'll have 100,000 subscribers and you'll get 2,000 views a video. Um, and that's pretty useless. So really what you need to do is build trust with your audience. And the, the way you build trust is by consistently delivering good content on some form of a schedule um, so that people have an expectation of what they're going to see when they click a video from your channel. And then how do you actually like break out past your, your subscriber base? Um, in my opinion, it really comes down to, I really think like click-through rate is the number one thing that I think about. So how do you make a thumbnail look good on a mobile phone and a computer? And how, how does a thumbnail stand alone? So even if they don't read the title, they, they get the whole story of what you're doing. So usually text in thumbnail is pretty important. Um, so really thinking about your thumbnail and getting that click-through up as, as high as possible. Um, the next most important thing I would say is like the title. So making sure that, you know, it's interesting. People use misdirect and mystery. I, I don't necessarily use that, but getting people to click a video and then delivering on what your thumbnail and title actually said it was going to deliver on. Um, and so I think content is a lot about storytelling. So, you know, setting up the stakes, setting up the emotional arc, um, having the emotional journey, having the big payoff. Um, I think that for a lot of content, it, it, it goes through that story. Um, I mean, and, and another thing to think about also is like, there's so many exceptions to the rule, you know, really I'm giving you the framework for what works for my type of channel. And I've done YouTube courses where people are like just talking at the camera giving like business tips, advice, and what they'd say works, um, works for YouTube would not work for me at all. In fact, it's like terrible advice. Um, but they're in a different niche. And so they're trying to pump out a lot of content. They actually don't care about creating real connections with their audience. They're just trying to get as many views as they can. Um, they don't care if they get a video with 1000 views and then, you know, they're just trying to pump out enough content. So eventually one might get a million views. Um, and so I think that their strategy is really bad for what I'm trying to do. But if I, so it's important to understand what type of channel you're trying to replicate. Um, and so looking at examples of channels that are doing really well in your niche um, and looking at for like the tips and tricks that they're using. Um, 
and yeah, making sure that you're running it through that filter, like I said, so it makes sense for your type of channel because there's different types of channels and different types of strategies. Um, and what else would I say? I'd say those, those are the main things. The last thing that I'd say is if you, if you are on a topic that is trending, um, then you'll get suggested video traffic if your click-through rate and video is really good. So, um, you know, if heaps of people are making videos about um, what's a trending topic at the moment, like I, I did this on Fiverr. That's a trending topic at the moment. So it's like I paid 10 people on Fiverr to build a website for me for under $100 and this is what I got. Or I paid 10 people on Fiverr to write a baseline for this song. Um, and so that is a trending topic. So if that trending topic fit, fit into your niche, if you're a fashion designer and you're like, I got 10 designers to, to make it, whatever. So then people that have watched other Fiverr, I paid Fiverr videos, they might get your video as a suggested video. So you can tag onto suggesting trends on YouTube to try to make your video one of the videos that will pop up after someone watches your video. Yeah, so I'd say, yeah, those are the main things that I think about with YouTube. Yeah, because I've also heard advice about like, hey, just put out stuff that you really like and then people will see that and then, you know, but now listening to your perspective and your strategy, what works for you, it's more about like actually figuring out, okay, what are the keywords? What are, what's the, what will people actually click on? What's actually interesting? And then making that, making a real effort to figure out, okay, what would they find interesting? And then making that happen. So I wouldn't say that I'm uh, changing my content based on what I think people um, want, but if I'm doing like um, how to learn guitar in 30 days, I'd think about, how do I make the, the, the thumbnail as interesting as possible? How do I make the title of that video as interesting as possible? I'm still doing what I want, but then I'm taking that and trying to create as much like story and captivation with the title and thumbnail. So uh, people are more likely to click it and kind of get, get what I'm trying to do with a piece of content. So yeah, and I'm, and I'm trying to be more selective with the piece of content that I'll put out. So I won't just put out anything because I think it's half a right these days. I'll try to put more care into like, you know, with my channel, I want people to go, cool, Max has released a video. I watch Max's videos as opposed to, cool, I watch, you know, I don't even know who Max is. I just watch that skateboarding one and every now and then this random guy pops up and does a challenge. And, I, you know, I don't know, I can't differentiate him from another person that has done another monthly challenge. Yeah. And that also goes a lot against the, like, against a lot of the advice that you hear when it comes to content where it's like, just put out more and more content and more and more content. And even if it's not perfect, just put it out there. I think it's good for beginners just to get started and get some momentum. But it's actually something that I've been thinking about as well, where if something's not really good and it's like, oh, it's, it's good, but it's not really good, then should you even put it out? And what, you, what I hear you saying is like, you should either like optimize it or maybe not even put it out because you don't want to put that reference into your audience's head where it's like, oh, that video wasn't so good. I don't know if I'm going to watch the next one after that. Totally. But if you're like Dan Locke or, I mean, I don't even know how to say his name or Grant Cardone or one of those guys, they literally just put out as much content as they can perceive, you know, and Gary, Gary example is another example. And so, so they're a counter example to that, but they're trying to drive traffic for a cause. So they don't care if you watch any piece of like any individual piece of video, they just want to like constantly reach people. They don't care if the quality of the content is perfect as well. They just want to put out as much content as possible so it reaches different people and then they can funnel them into an email list or a course or, web, or webinar or um, whatever it might be. So there's different strategies depending on what you're trying to do. Um, and it's important to figure out 
who you're trying to model and you know what are you actually trying to do um, and then make sure you build your strategy from the ground up and it's important to understand that there are very distinct strategies for different types of channels and so you know what I'm talking about is more the, the strategy of like the top YouTubers that get you know a hundred thousand plus video views every every video whereas someone like Grant Cardone might get 10,000 views on a video even if he, even if he has 1.5 million subscribers because sometimes he just puts out junk that the thumbnail the title people, like people know that he puts out stuff that might not be of interest to them or he might have a diversity of content that just it's only it's only relevant for a small uh, audience so different strategies for different channels so what's what do you think is the best strategy to build a really tight community that is super committed and it's almost like a religion almost like a cult like raving fans that will consume all of your stuff that will stand behind the mission that you're on and that you the message that you put out what do you think is the best strategy for that so like two people or three people that i think that have done that this really well but the two that really come to mind is yes theory and um and uh and graham steven is another one if you've seen graham steven is like financial well let's look at yes theory as an example so they've, they've grown really fast. They've, they've gone from like 20,000 to 4.5 million in the last four years or something like that. Uh, and I've kind of been a fan of, of theirs. But they've had a very clear principle and um, message for the channel, which is like saying yes to experiences and pushing your comfort zone. So you know every piece of content has to fall under that umbrella. And then they have a, they've had a regular content schedule of like two to three times a week. And they've never really had a bad piece of content. And some of the content doesn't necessarily appeal to me. But if it doesn't appeal to me, it's not like they'll go down in this rabbit hole of like just exploring abandoned islands. For example, that piece of content doesn't uh, appeal to me, but like trying to get a random uh, group to come skydiving with them, that's more interesting to me because that's more challenging like their social uh, skills and things like that. So I think that they've created a raving fan, you know, they've got the, the group and stuff like that. So I think what they've done really well is they've really been consistent on what the message is of the channel. Everything has fallen under that umbrella. Um, they've built a deep connection by allowing people to like understand them personally. Um, they've committed to a content and schedule. Um, so I think that they're an example of someone doing it well. I think Graham Steven is another good example because he puts a lot of effort into his video. He's been consistent on his, um, theme, which is, you know, investing and, you know, financial advice and passive income and, you know, and real estate, you know, essentially is what he talks about. Um, and he hasn't really deterred too much in that until at least now where he's like huge and people like him personally. So now they're interested in finding out about his girlfriend and his holidays and stuff like that a little bit. But for the most part, he's been really consistent on his um, posting schedule. He puts a lot of effort into his videos. So he actually does research and pulls data and things like that. And so now people look to him as a trusted resource and they know when they click a video of it's not going to be clickbait. It's not going to be, you know, put together in 15 minutes. It's something that he's going to spend 10 hours, 20 hours of research and it's going to be a high quality video. And so he's done that consistently for years and then people have rewarded him for it. But similar to me, he's just got, you know, four or five or 10 videos that have randomly blown up and have got 5 million views, even though his average might be, you know, 300,000. And so that's also just time in the game as well every now and then something's going to break out of your audience and expand and, and bring people into your audience so you should definitely have a clear strategy before you start putting out content of like what is it about what's the niche what are the topics what's the overall message and uh maybe even values and stuff like that 
Yeah, I, I really think so. That's something that I struggled to do, and and you know, and I and I struggled to do because, uh, my like I'm doing meditating one month and then skateboarding the next month, and so the people that are interested in minimalism are not necessarily interested in juggling, um, and so the umbrella concept is learning, but I don't know if that's too broad of, a, of an umbrella, and so I think that. Um, that has been one of the challenges of my channel, which is, yeah, exactly that. There's there's a disconnect for the, you know, minimalism was 90% females at watch and skateboarding is 90% males at watch. So the audience is is disconnected. And there is a sub-community of people that are about growth and challenge. Um, but I don't know if I've, I've built that audience well enough. And, you know, that's something that I'm learning and trying to ingrain it as I move forward. Yeah, I think it's something that a lot of people struggle with, me included. That's why I actually asked the question because I've got so many different interests and so many different things that I want to talk about. But I'm like, should I really or should I just hone in on one? And what if I end up not liking it in the end? Can I then easily pivot? Like that's some of these thoughts that people get into. Um, do you think it's able, you're able to later on pivot? Or what are your thoughts on the topic? Did you have similar uh, challenges in the beginning? Totally, totally. And I'm still having that challenge as well. Um, and yeah, I, I, you know, I think that, yeah, I think that by having some focus, it will be beneficial. It doesn't have to be super focused, but something where there's a clear expectation of what people can get. I think that that is, that is powerful. Cool. Awesome. Uh, what's, what's, uh, the future looking like for you, your, uh, your plan for the next few years, you said you committed mentally to like another or, or five years max or like another five years. And uh, what does that look like? What are your plans? What are the next challenges? Yeah, so, I mean, entrepreneurship is something that I'm always really interested in. So, like, growing my agency, um, that's always been exciting. And it's cool to see, like, more and more people in the agency and this bigger, this culture evolving from, you know, all these cool people. So, that's exciting for me. Um, it, with the YouTube channel, yeah, I want to do another three years. So, committing to five years total, just because I think five years is a bit of a fairly insane amount of time for someone to commit to like monthly challenges. And, you know, I want to do the ballet and acro yoga and surfing and train a dog. And I've got all kinds of weird ideas that I want to do. Um, and so some of them, are, they take months of planning um, that I've got all kinds of crazy ideas for the channel. Hopefully the, the bigger these challenges can be, you know, maybe like one of them is climbing Mount Kilimanjaro or something crazy, you know, if I can get sponsors to help with these challenges. Um, then I can do crazier things. So the more, you know, the more subscribers, the crazier stuff I can do. Um, so yeah, I want to keep growing that. Um, yeah, I'm really interested in, in uh, entrepreneurship and, and potentially starting other businesses that, that complement kind of my skill set. Um, and then um, just on a personal level, I've been interested in as broad and as, as, yeah, as broad as this word is like enlightenment. And so this idea of, um, um, how do I become more present and more myself and how do I like remove as much baggage as I've, as I've got from society and from, you know, my life um, and, and different things like meditation and Buddhism and, and other things like that, that can help me down this path of um, whatever that, that word means enlightenment. Yeah. Cool. I'm wishing you all the best for that. And hopefully you'll, you'll crack the 1 million subscribers in that time period Thanks. as well. And um yeah, thanks. Thanks so much for coming on. So, where can people check out your content and so, with you potentially? Yeah, I mean, 
I, I respond to every single DM on Instagram. So if you DM me at, at Max Herden, I'll, I'll respond to any question. Really happy to do that. Uh, if you want to watch any videos, I'm Max Herden on, on YouTube. Those are probably the best two channels. Cool. All right. I'll put these links in the description as well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on, man. My pleasure. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And if you enjoyed it, then please subscribe to this podcast right now and leave a review on iTunes, which would help us massively. And if you consider yourself a high performer and you're already running a successful business and you're passionate about holistic growth in every area of life, then you can apply to join our carefully curated group on Facebook for guys like you and me. And when I say carefully curated, I actually mean it because I screen everybody personally and jump on a call with them to see if they're the right fit. And in these calls, I ask myself questions like, first of all, do they know what they talk about? And do they have a level of success that proves it? For example, they're running a successful business or they have some other sort of success that proves, okay, these are interesting guys. They have some value to share. Secondly, are they passionate about growing in every area of their life? That means health and fitness, relationships, relationships with women, finances, spirituality, all that cool stuff. And thirdly, are they self-aware and generally cool guys we'd want to hang out with uh, that also share similar values. And uh, basically what we do is we facilitate mastermind calls where we chat every week or bi-weekly to talk about challenges, help each other out and lift each other up, which is also all 100% free. And uh, yeah, it's just... Uh, a group where you get access to a peer group that will lift you up and make it easy and fun to constantly level up because ultimately you are who you surround yourself with. And uh, as you know as well, it's lonely as you're moving up. But here you're around people who are on the same path. They're also crazy ambitious and they understand the specific challenges that you go through. So it's also a safe space where you can talk about anything here. And uh, you ask yourself, okay, what's the catch? Because you can't jump on a call with everyone. Uh, it's not scalable, but yeah, I know it is not meant to be scaled. It's a highly curated group. And again, we actually mean that because ultimately it's my selfish desire to surround myself with like-minded winners. And uh, the way it works is so far, you've only gotten in through referrals, through current members. If someone referred you, then you can get in. But uh, now you can actually apply. So you can send us an application. And uh, as I said, it's 100% free for now. And uh, yeah, we just want to get some great guys together. So our current members are six to seven figure business owners they are currently exiting their business they're just running their business want to grow it or we even have some guys who are interested in buying businesses now so uh yeah it's just a bunch of interesting dudes all have different strengths and help each other out in the areas that they're lacking in and uh we have a ton of fun on these weekly calls and i always leave inspired and thinking bigger just like everyone else in the group and uh, yeah, I'm just super pumped for it. I always love these calls. So if you think you're one of us, then please head over to www.wearecollectiveambition.com slash apply. So that's www.wearecollectiveambition. That's just one word, dot com slash apply. And I'll see you on there.